word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our God. And Lord, we thank you for even this time we've had and just spending with you in worship, Lord. We feel your presence already. Your spirit is moving already. And God, it is, it is our heart to hear from you as we study your word. So Lord, speak to us, God. May, your, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, Lord. Open our ears, open our eyes to the wonderful truth about you that we are going to see today. And Lord, as you do, minister to us, God. Heal us, free us, help us, God, as we come before you and as your word speak to us. So Lord, anoint this time with your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Hey, I read about this uh, primary school teacher collected some funny descriptions of angels that he had received from his little students. For example, Daniel, age seven, wrote this about angels. When an angel gets mad, he takes a deep breath and counts to ten. And when he lets out his breath, somewhere there's a tornado. I guess that makes sense to little ears. Mandy, age eight, wrote, Angels work for God and watch over kids when God has to go do something else. <laughs> Gregory, age five, said this, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. <laughs> angels sing glory to, right? Yeah. Uh, Jacob, age six, said, Angels live in cloud houses made by God and his son which is a very good carpenter. And lastly here, I really like this. Sarah, age seven, asked this. What I don't get about angels is why, when someone is in love, they shoot arrows at them. <laughs> I wonder too. Well, people may not fully understand God's angels, but there's so much fascination with them, isn't there? You know, I was reading when Billy Graham uh, when his book first came out many, many years ago, and his book was called Angels, God's Secret Agents, when it first came out, when it was first released, it sold one million copies in just 90 days. Overall, three million were sold of the, that book. And you can tell people really like angels. Movies, right, TV shows, documentaries about angels have always brought a great interest, and they've always been very, very popular. Well, we, granted, we understand that. I mean, as what we've seen and understand of angels, I mean, they're powerful, they're wonderful, they're beautiful. They do a miraculous work that brings, sadly, many people to even worship angels. Well, as we return to our study in the book of Hebrews, we find that there is someone even more powerful, even more wonderful, even, and higher than these holy beings who we really shouldn't worship anyway. And who is that? Take a guess. Jesus Christ. That's right. So today, the Word of God shows us that Jesus is greater than angels. And that's the title of our message today. Jesus is greater than angels. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 4 through 14. Last week we started this book, went to verse 3, and now we're going to pick up again from verse 4 and finish this chapter. Now Jesus is greater than angels 
four, and this is our outline for number one, he is the son of God. Number two, he is the self-existent one. And number three, he is the sovereign Lord. So Jesus is greater than angels. Let's begin with number one in our outline. He is the son of God. He is the Son of God. Take a look with me here now. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. It reads like this. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We're going to stop right there. Now, we begin here like mid-sentence. And the writer, he's saying that Jesus having become. Jesus has become. What is he talking about? Well, that speaks of a change of state now, not a change of existence as we talk about Jesus. For we know Jesus, and we're going to see even more, that he is the eternal God. Well, what does it say? Well, this speaks of when Jesus had become the Savior of the world. When he became a human being, a man, when he was born, a human baby, right? And then he grew up and died on the cross. So this is having become and really this is the idea as we flow into our passage today jesus has become in that way the savior of the world has become so much better than angels the writer puts here or as the english standard version puts it much superior that's the idea jesus is much higher much superior than the angels to any of god's angels and not that he wasn't already don't get that wrong here i mean after our description of last week from verses one through three that show that jesus is above all we understand that right jesus is our above all that was our title last week if you missed it you can grab the cd or hopefully this week we'll have it posted up on our website too so the writer now moves on with this next thought. And the focus really is about Jesus, the angels, how Jesus is greater. So he begins here, hey, Jesus is way superior. And he goes on and says that by inheritance, here in verse 4, which refers to how God the Father has given Jesus a more excellent name than any angel has ever been given. So Jesus has been given a far more superior name when he became Savior of the world. And what is that name then? Well, look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Did you catch what the name is? God the Father has given Jesus the name of Son. That's what verse 5 is explaining, verse 4, which puts Jesus way above the angels in both status or rank. You know, many cults to this day say Jesus is just an angel. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is really Michael, the archangel. And they say if Jesus is, is, is the Son of God, then it means that he was created and Jesus is not God. And many look at this passage and say that, well, see, this is what it's saying. But if you, we really look at it, if we really study it, we see that, matter of fact, this passage is proving just the opposite, that Jesus is God. Look here again in verse 5. The writer really is quoting two Old Testament passages. You notice they're in quotes. First is Psalm 2, 2 
7, verse 7, and then it's 2 Samuel 4, verse 17. And by the way, in the rest of this chapter, we're going to see many quotes from the Old Testament. I like when what, what run, one commentator said. He said it's like a string of pearls in a necklace put together. And I like that thought. So first we see here about Psalm 2, 7. It's saying that, that first of all, to no angel has God the Father ever said, you are my son, only to Jesus. And then in the second quote, the writer saying, And to no angel has God ever said, I will be his father and he will be my son. He's only said that to Jesus. Now, granted, some of you are going, well, wait, Pastor Rick, I know some scripture. And there are some scriptures that, that call angels, quote, sons of God, like Job 1.6. But that is just another word or phrase to, to describe the group of heavenly beings around the throne of God. But here's the idea here. God has never specifically, individually ever called any angel his son. God has never given that status to anyone but Jesus Christ. And thus, our, our title of our outline, He is the Son of God. Only Jesus has gotten that title, Son. Notice how in this first quote, it also says, Today I have begotten you. Well, what is that talking about? Well, it speaks when Jesus was born as a human being, to what? Die for our sins. When he became the Savior f for us. Colts say, well, see, this shows Jesus was begotten or created. But that is not what is stated here. This is really what, what is describing the incarnation. That's the theological word, which means God becoming fully man. And when Jesus was walking this earth, he was fully God, fully man. That's the incarnation. And then, like in verse 4, it goes along with this. Earlier it said, having become. Remember I explained to you, that was when Jesus stepped in and became the Savior of the world. So that's the idea of today I have begotten. And then secondly, notice this. How in the next quote, right, the, the writer puts out where God says, I will be to him a father. In other words, God will become his father. And then he says, he shall be to me a son which means that second person of the Trinity, God will officially be called God the Son. So you have God the Father officially and God the Son officially. So the eternal Jesus became the Son when he was begotten into time, born as a human being. And then God became the Heavenly Father, God the Father, who sent the second person of the Trinity to be the Savior of the world. Hopefully, you're following this. Hopefully, I'm trying to make it easy to understand. And understand this also. In the Hebrew kind of thinking, the son, in essence, is the father. So when you talk about, oh, this is my son, well, he's my blood, he's just like me, he's part of me, all of that. Well, that's the thinking here. When God the Father gives Jesus the title son, and he's born into this world, he's basically saying Jesus is God the Son, come as fully man to be the Savior of the world. So, no created angel will ever be specifically, individually be called God the Son. 
And that's why now, look at verse 6. The writer adds this. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So the writer says here, first of all, that we find this deity, and this is what he's talking about, Jesus being God. He's saying we find this deity of Jesus when God had emphasized, and then he makes a quote. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 32, 43. By the way, scholars tell us that all these quotes were taken from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which many of the Jews read back then. So this quote talks about God the Father who brings the firstborn into the world. When God sent Jesus into the world to be our savior now understand this now firstborn isn't like what we think about today firstborn in original language is prototokos proto hey that's a nice word huh prototokos 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 now you remember it right that means firstborn you know what that means in original language chief one the chief one it is a term of position a term of title, not a term of time. Like, oh, he was the one who was born first. No. When they talk about firstborn, prototokos, he's talking about not some being that was created and born in. See, Jesus, Jesus is not created. He's God, right? But it's more talking about he's first in line. It is a, it's a title of the highest position that, and honor that someone could have. So Jesus is given the firstborn status of importance and authority. Remember when um, in Genesis we find that Esau, you remember who Esau was? Jacob's brother, right? Who was actually born first? Esau. But who was given the firstborn rights? Jacob. That's the idea here. Or think about, how about King David, right? King David, he was the last son of Jesse. You know how many sons he had? Eight. So he was number eight. He was down here in the totem pole. He was down here in line. Yet in Psalm 89, 27, God says, And I will make him, talking about David, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, because the Messiah was going to come through him. So the quote has to do with how Jesus is given this place of honor, the place of proto, proto I can't say, tokos, right? Because he is God the Son. And then that's why the rest of the, this verse, God says, you know what? So that's why all the angels are to worship him. Jesus is the object of worship. Jesus is not an angelic worshiper. No, he's the focus. He's the one who is lifted up high. So then Jesus must be the Son of God, God the Son, since angels are commanded to worship him. And we know biblically, right, in the commandments, right, the first commandment, well, you shall worship no other God, right? Jesus said in the temptation, no, we worship only God. And did you know in Revelation 19, verse 10, it says, And I, which is John, fell at his feet, which is the angel's feet, who was giving him the vision, to worship him. And guess what the angel said to him? See that you do not do that. I'm a fellow servant. And then he says, worship God. So if God tells the angels to worship Jesus, 
What does that mean? Jesus is God. Why worship angels when angels worship Jesus? So here's the writer's point here. If God the Father calls Jesus his son, and the angels worship him as his son, then what? Jesus must be God. If God the Father calls Jesus his son, and the angels worship him as his son, then Jesus must be God. And I know all of this, maybe it, there's a lot of theology here in Hebrews, but, but it's truth that builds our foundation. It's truth that helps us live our life for God and have faith and trust in this Jesus that has died on a cross for us. And I know it's a little bit hard. What, God, the eternal God, he became a man, all this. Sometimes it's hard for our, our minds to fully conceive. But the truth is plain here. If God the Father calls Jesus his son and the angels worship him as his son, then Jesus must be God. During a thunderstorm, a little girl was afraid and called out from her room and said, Daddy, Daddy, come in here and stay with me. Her father came in and told her to not be afraid. He reassured her that even when he leaves the room, God will be there with her. Then the little girl replied, I know that, Daddy, but I want somebody with skin on. I like that. It can be hard to grasp Jesus. God came to this earth, born to die on a cross, but save our sins. But that's what happened. Jesus came, put skin on to be with us, to teach us, to speak to us, to, to live an example for us, to relate to us so we can understand and know who God really is. And then he died on a cross for us. Jesus is really God. And really, that's what, that's what, where this term, the Son of God, means. It's God who came to this earth, became fully a man, and died on a cross to be our Savior. And it's that truth, you guys, that we put our faith in, right? It's that truth that we trust in our Savior died on a cross so we can be saved, so we can have this relationship with Him. Listen, this is, this, is the, this is God, this is Jesus, who didn't make us climb up to his level, right? But love calls him to come down to our level. That's love. Know this is love. Just the fact we see here, he is the son of God in these few verses. We, we see love here because Jesus became that link between the eternal things and the earthly things. That's the significance of Jesus being the Son of God. I really like what someone said when they wrote, Jesus Christ, the meeting place of eternity and time, the blending of deity and humanity, the junction of heaven and earth. I love that. So now, after studying this, when you hear this term, the Son of God, Understand what's really behind this. Jesus is God who's come to this earth, fully man, to die on the cross to be our Savior. All right, let's move on here to number two. He is the self-existent one. He is the self-existent one. Jesus is greater than angels for he is the Son of God. And secondly, now he is the self-existent one. Hebrews chapter 1, now look at verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes 
his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. Now the writer here, remember we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews, so I'm going to keep saying the writer, whoever that mystery person is. The writer continues on by quoting, now here's the next quote, Psalm 104, verse 4, saying, you know, God says about angels, you know about the angels, he makes, who makes, remember God created the angels, his angels as spirits. The word literally there in the Greek means wind. The idea is that angels are really fast. They're like the wind. They're, they're in the spiritual realm, so they can move that way. And then in this quote, it says about angels and his ministers a flame of fire. Ministers means servants there. So these angels are servants of God, and they are a flame of fire, which speaks of their power, but also Fire, many times in the Bible, speaks about judgment. And so the angels are the ones who execute judgment at God's command, like we've seen in the Old Testament stories or in the book of Revelation and what will happen during the tribulation years. So here's the idea in this verse. Angels were created and placed to serve God and do His bidding. That's really the basic thing. He's the one who made angels. He makes them as spirits, real fast. He's the one who makes them as servants to do his bidding. Understand, now, as we're reading this, this book or this letter, Hebrews is written to the Jews. Remember I mentioned that last time. To the Hebrews, both saved and unsaved. And the Jews regarded angels as the highest beings next to God. They were way up there. So they really honored and revered these angels there was even a tendency in the early church uh, to worship angels for we see in sec in uh, corinthians chapter 2 verse 18 it says don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels now granted though angels are incredible beings right they can appear, we've seen it in the Bible, in shining glory or just as a person. They, they can communicate with people, with God's message. They are powerful beings. They defeat the enemy, right? One angel defeated uh, 100, or, yeah, 185,000 uh, Assyrians, right? Uh, there's thousands and thousands, in other words, uncountable angels. Uh, we also know that they don't marry, they don't procreate. Uh, they know that, we know that in the Bible, from the Bible, they have a free will. In other words, they can choose to follow God or not because what happened with Satan and the demons? They chose to not listen to God and go against God, and thus we have these evil beings. They, uh, we also know in the Bible they're highly organized into ranks and, and responsibilities that God gives them. And we will see... Angels do God's bidding, especially to God's children, to his people. And we're going to see that at the end. So no wonder the Jews held them in high regard. But they are, basically the writers telling us here, they are placed in this position of not way up here, but as servants. That's really the idea here. Well, in contrast to that, look at verse 8. But to the Son, he says, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So the writer goes on, hey, angels, they're just, they're created. They're made to be servants for God. But the Son, and who's the Son? Jesus Christ, the God the Father has placed God the Son in a different position than angels. So the writer brings that thought in by quoting Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7, which we see here, God the Father calls Jesus' his Son God, right? Right away here in verse 8, your throne, O God. Isn't that amazing? Right here, Jesus is God. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And Jesus holds a position on the throne, your throne is forever and ever. That means into eternity. He has a scepter, like he, a, a rod to rule, and it's a scepter of righteousness. In other words, Jesus holds this staff of authority and rules and holiness and purity, and, and he's the ruler of the kingdom, a scepter of your kingdom. And since his heart, since his rule, since his authority is for righteousness, then it's, he loves righteousness, verse 9, and hates lawlessness. In other words, Jesus, God, sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning, he is a pure, holy, righteous ruler who will not compromise, but hold to his holy standard. Therefore, since his position in, is, is this, and I like this, look at the middle of verse 9. Therefore, he says, God, who's that? That's Jesus. Therefore, Jesus, your God, who's that? God the Father has anointed you with the oil. Now stop for a second. Many times in the Old Testament, oil is a picture or symbol of the Holy Spirit. So right here, you can see the Trinity going on here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit anoints Jesus with gladness or joy, and that is more than your companions, meaning more than the heavenly beings there, the angels. It was a joyous occasion as Jesus was enthroned and anointed as the one, the king, the one, the son, who's placed in this position which this verse, these verses are telling us that no angel would ever be in. And thus our title, you guys, Jesus is greater than the angels. Isn't this what we've seen on our Christmas cards last Christmas, right? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, the rule, will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's move on here to verse 10. Then the writer says, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. Now, this is amazing here in these three verses. The writer goes on really to quote Psalm 102, 25 through 27. And he goes to 
quote this, to say this about Jesus. First of all, you Lord. He calls Jesus Lord. Now, the Greek word is kyrios here, which is actually the equivalent to the Hebrew word Yahweh. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus was there in the beginning. In other words, he's eternal. He is the eternal God. Matter of fact, Jesus laid the foundation of the earth. In other words, no evolution here. It was Jesus who made the earth. He made the earth and the heavens. They are the work of his hands. Jesus, as we've even been seeing, is the creator. He is Yahweh. And then one day, verse 11, says they will perish. What is that? Heaven and earth. But you, who's that? Jesus remains. One day, all of this will be gone, but Jesus will still be there. He's going to take heaven and earth, and like an old garment or this cloak or this coat, Jesus will fold it up nice and neatly, and he's going to change everything. He's going to fold it up, give it to Salvation Army, and then he's going to get, no, he's going to make a whole new heaven and earth. Second Peter 3 and Revelation 21. But Jesus, though heaven and earth goes and will be gone, but Jesus stays the same. And I like this term. His years will not fail. I wish my body will not get old and fail. But Jesus will go on and on into eternity. So here's the idea. God the Son is and will always be God. He is the self-existent one. Bruce Barton said, Jesus is both the Son and Creator. Angels were created and can change. Jesus, on the other hand, is the Creator who cannot change. You know, back in Exodus 3, you remember when God revealed His name to Moses in the burning bush? What did the Lord tell Moses? He said, I am who I am. Well, then later, Jesus declared in John 8, 58, He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So like the worship song declares, Jesus is the great I am. What does that mean? He is the I am. Well, it means that Jesus is God, the eternally, eternal, self-existent being who always was and always is and always will be. See, God had no creator because he always was. God never changes because he always is. God goes on into eternity because he always will be. So it's clear here, Jesus is not on the same level as angels. Do you see that? You see what's going on here? Which brings us to really this point, that angels were made to serve the Son, who is Jesus, the unchanging, eternal, transcendent God. He is that self-sufficient Angels were made to serve the Son, who is Jesus, the unchanging, eternal, transcendent God. At the time of creation, God was talking to one of his angels, saying, Do you know what I have just done? 
I have just created a 24-hour period of alternating light and darkness on earth. Isn't that good? The angel then says, yes, but what will you do now? God says, uh, I think I'll call it a day. I like that one. <laughs> well, here's the thing. God does not get tired, right? God doesn't, he's not moody. He doesn't get emotional. He doesn't change his mind about you at a whim. God is unchanging in all his ways. Angels were made to serve this son who is Jesus, the unchanging, eternal, transcendent God. So because we know this, you know what? God is reliable. He is reliable. Listen, if this is true and you really believe this, that he is the self-sufficient one, that he is unchanging, that he is the eternal one, that he is the maker, do you trust in your finances more than you do God? Let me tell you, money's, money will fail you. Money will. The stock market, stock market might crash again. Do you trust in your own maybe smarts more than God? Let me say, you know, you don't know everything, right? Or have you been putting your all into a relationship thinking that that will give you a happy and secure future? Well, let me tell you, no person can do that. And it's unfair to them to think that way. But there is one that you can totally rely on and that's jesus christ it's jesus you guys who is what hebrews 13 8 who is the same yesterday today and tomorrow so listen guys this is what this is what it means his ability to help you will not change his capacity to love you will not change his forgiveness from the cross will not change his power to keep you will not change Edward uh, wrote the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And he captures this very truth with this line, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen? Let's go on to number three in our outline. He is the sovereign Lord. We see that Jesus is greater than angels, for he is the Son of God. He is the self-existent one. And now our last two verses in this chapter talks about he is the sovereign Lord. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. The writer goes on and says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? So now the writer puts this out. Has God ever said now to any of the angels, Hey, sit at my right hand. And here he's quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. And what's the obvious answer? No, no. This position of sovereignty is only reserved for the Son of God, which is Jesus. And as we saw last week, the right hand is that position of, of honor, authority, and power. Then the quote goes on with this phrase, till I make your enemies your footstool, which looks to that final victory when Jesus will overcome and defeat the enemies of God and he will rule and reign in the millennial kingdom. When he comes back and he, he, he gets Satan and everything and everyone who's against him, 
and he's, he defeats them, and he really rules. So the, here's the overall idea here. This is the destiny of Jesus, for he is the sovereign Lord. This is his destiny. He's sovereign. He's, he's the Lord. So, hey, he's going to rule and reign here and defeat all the enemies. John MacArthur said in his commentary, No angel has ever been promised a place at God's right hand. Only the Son will sit there. The destiny of Jesus Christ is that ultimately everything in the universe will be subject to him. That's his destiny. God came from heaven to become a man, to die on a cross, and then the Son was resurrected, resurrected, returned to heaven, sitting on the throne. And he's sitting in that sovereign position. And then at the end of the tribulation, he's going to return in his second coming. He's going to defeat all the enemies, and he's, that's his destiny, to rule and reign in that position forever. Well, in contrast to Jesus and his destiny, verse 14 says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So the writer goes on and adds his own commentary, saying, are they, he's speaking of the angels now. The writer says, aren't all the angels like ministering spirits? In other words, aren't they spiritual beings made to serve? Minister, right? Meaning servant. That have been sent forth by who? God. To minister, to serve, or we should say care for those who will inherit salvation. Who's that? Believers in Jesus Christ. So God dispatches angels to help us. So in contrast to Jesus, the destiny, and this is the idea here, the destiny of angels is that they are servants of God and his people. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he, talking about the sovereign Lord, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Verse 12 then says, On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So the writer idea is, hey, you know what their destiny is? To serve God by helping and caring for you. And this is really our last point. Jesus Christ is the Lord whom angels serve as he sends them out to help the believers. Jesus Christ is the Lord whom angels serve as he sends them out to help the believers. That's why Jesus is greater than angels, right? They serve him. Angels don't, uh, uh, Jesus doesn't serve the angels. He's above them. He's greater. He's higher. He's superior. Jesus Christ is the Lord whom angels serve as he sends them out to help the believers. And doesn't God send angels to help us believers? I was reading about how Elizabeth Elliot who was the widow of Jim Elliot, who was martyred when they went out to Ecuador. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, she once told this story about her father's experience with angels. She wrote this, My father, when he was a small boy, was climbing on an upper story of a house that was being built. He walked to the end of a board that was not nailed at the other end, and it slowly began to tip. He knew that he was doomed, but inexplicably, the board began to tip the other way, as though a hand had pushed it down again. He always wondered if it was an angel's 
hand. What do you think? I think it was. I believe that was an angel. I believe that's exactly what we're reading here, that Jesus Christ, who is the Lord, whom angels who do serve, Jesus, he sent an angel to help Elizabeth Elliot's father. Think about it this way. Satan and his demons, which are the fallen angels, right? They're out there going around trying to bring deception and destruction and division and all that. Well, wouldn't it make sense that God's angels are doing the opposite? They're going about helping God's children at his command. Which should tell you that if God sends an angel your way, it should prove to you that he loves you, that he cares for you. So be encouraged. If you feel unloved or forgotten, God has his angels watching over you right now. Right now. That was the angel. There, there's the angel again. No, just joking. Be encouraged. Do you feel unloved? Do you feel forgotten? But Jesus, the sovereign Lord, he has angels at his bidding. They're serving him. For what reason? So he can send them to help you. Be encouraged. We may never know how many times an angel protected us from injury, guided us to safety, kept us from mortal accidents, and maybe you have your own testimonies to angels that have helped you. But we do know they did so by the direction and command of the Lord. And this is God's perfect provision and care for us, you guys. It's Jesus who really cares. The angel's just, I'm just following orders. He's serving the Lord. That's the God we know. That's the Jesus who died on a cross for us who came and saved us and brought us into his family, made us children of God. That's the Jesus we have a relationship with. That's Jesus who's ordering these angels. Chris Tomlin has that song, Whom Shall I Fear? Whom Shall I Fear? And the lyrics go like this. You hear me when I call. You are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy under my feet. You are my sword and shield. Though troubles linger still, still, whom shall I fear? And then the chorus. You guys know the song, right? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And the bridge says this, And nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promise. You are faithful. You are faithful. And let me read the chorus once more. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. We know the commander, guys. We have a relationship with Jesus. We know Jesus loves us and caring for us. We know him. And he's the one who makes the angels, ministering spirits, sent forth to minister and help us. 
No, the God of the angel armies is on your side. I'll close with this. Long ago in a Chinese city, bandits had, bandits had surrounded the mission compound, sheltering hundreds of women and children. And Miss Morrison there prayed, Lord, I have been teaching these young people all these years that thy promises are true, and if they fail now, my mouth shall be forever closed. I must go home. Throughout the night, she was up ministering to the frightened refugees and encouraging them to pray and to trust God to deliver them. Though fearful things happened all around, the bandits left the mission compound untouched. In the morning, people from three different neighborhood families asked Miss Morrison, the missionary. They asked her, who were those four people? They were sitting and one was standing, quietly watching from the top of your house all night long. When she told them that no one had been on the roof, they refused to believe her, saying, we saw them with our own eyes. Well, then she knew what it was or who it was. She told them that God still sent angels to guard his children in their hour of danger. Angels are real. God's love is real. And Jesus is the Lord over them. The God of angel armies is on our side. So find comfort today, you guys, that Jesus is greater than angels let's pray lord we thank you for your word and the truth that is stamped here on the pages of our bible we thank you it is it is a foundation lord telling us of who you really are and as the son of god that you are our savior that you are god who came to this earth to die on the cross for us and then go back to heaven and be our sovereign Lord. God, you are the self-existent one. You are unchanging. And Lord, as our thoughts are brought higher, Lord, higher in, into understanding who you are, may our faith go farther. May our trust go deeper, Lord. And God, we thank you that though angels are amazing and, and mysterious and we want to know more, God, thank you that you're greater and that we can know you and know who you are and what that means in our lives. Thank you, Lord. How many times that we, we mysterious things happened or, or we were saved by some miracles or guided or helped in some way, Lord, and we couldn't explain it. Perhaps it was your angel that was sent to us. Lord, we thank you for those times that we don't even know about that you protected us from harm or accidents or, or saved us from this or that. But it was your angels right there that you had sent. We thank you, God, that you care so much for us, that you watch out for us, and you're there for us. Lord, let us receive and accept that love Sometimes things do happen. Not sometimes we go through things. But Lord, you do help us get through. But God, for those things that we see or don't see, we know what the truth, the word is telling us today. 
that you, Jesus, are Lord. You are, you are our Savior. And you love us, and you have angels to come and help us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.